This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 74, in which Matt tells Hunter how the semifinals went. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. No, I do miss the faction um, strategy guides just because we got to start every episode being like, let's talk about theme. And we had like a mm-hmm. really good mm-hmm. bit time to hang out in for, for right. the first bit. And it was on brand. It was like on topic bits, you know? Yeah. We haven't, really, we haven't done that many on topic bits in a while. That's true. I mean, we are in the show evolves and changes as we're in different right. arcs of the show. Right. And this is the the kind of more freewheeling time. Yeah, right. Uh, but I feel like structure is just around the corner. I you know what so. I'm saying? Yeah. I think so. I think once this tournament is over, the the show can return to maybe more of that feel. But right now, we're just, you know, we're bogged down in all this We're just keeping up. This is, <laughs> the themes of all these episodes are, <sighs> okay, we just sat down, um, go. All right, I don't know. Yeah. Everything happened all at once, and then we had to record the episode. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. This l- lately, it's just been about keeping our heads above water. We we were just talking, actually. Like, let's just, let's not be silly. Let's just be honest about something that I think was interesting that you said earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, at now, when we record, um, it feels like it's been like a year since we recorded yes. the last episode, right? And that's because we are now, even though we both have jobs right. and significant others. We have been kind of in like a permanent Space Cats, yeah. Peace Turtles mindset for Months. this entire year. Yeah, like for thus the entirety far of 2019 has been soaked up with nonstop TI thought. Right. And 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 I'm not trying, like, obviously, uh, it's kind of weird for me to say that. I mean, I missed two of the semifinal games, mostly. Right. Um, right. However, what I mean by that is a... It has been a constant uh, thinking about, yeah, talking about, planning, right. figuring out uh, stuff, uh, s- trying to figure out scheduling all the yeah. time. Right. Uh, it's never left. It hasn't left. This show has not left my thoughts basically since 2019 hit. You know, since since this year started. Right. And uh, I think that's just really wild. Yeah, it is. Um. Today we're we're gonna keep doing that. Um, we finished the semifinals. We did one game last week, but we didn't want to talk about it on the show because there was only three. So we can cover three games in an episode. We've done more than that in one episode. Uh, yeah. So we're gonna cover all of the semis. Um, so from this point forward, you can consider it Spoiler Town. We welcome to Spoiler Town, where spoilers are vast and varied. Yeah, and sorry, this this episode does not have much of a non-spoiler component. No. Uh, This one's literally just about the semifinals kind of in its entirety. Uh, What's nice, listener, is that I'm kind of in the similar position to you, (laughs) whereas I'm going to get to hear about... I mean, I do know some spoilers, but a lot of this is going to be me hearing about these games for the first time, except for uh, game Game one. one. Yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, I, I'm, and I am excited to find out how the semifinals went. Uh, 
one weird thing to note, or actually, should we note this at the top? I was kind of thinking about talking about the slice that did particularly well, but yeah. we also don't have a lot of data. Yeah, well, let's talk about both of those facts. The fact mm -hmm. that there any data we get is not really statistically significant. Again, I, I feel like I say this all the time. The amount of people that play TI and the complexity of TI, I don't think it's possible to have something statistically significant. So I don't want to hold that as the barrier for like when we decide a statistic is worth using because yeah. we'll never have it. We'll never be able to use statistics if we expect it to be an actually statistically significant value. But that, being to, said, that being that said, that all being said, Classic Pepperoni won the semifinals. Yes, yeah, Classic won. Pepperoni was the star of the what's, show. Well, what's interesting there is Classic Pepperoni won, but it also very much lost. Oh, okay. Well, so. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's do we just want to go into it? Let's, game let's, one? Let's dive into game one. So game one was starring the Nine of Spades as the L1Z1X. Green Flame as the Necrovirus, Schroeder as the Sardak Nor, Mage as the Yin Brotherhood, Mantis as the Isaral Tribes, and Panster in the uh, as the Barony of Letnev. And that the the slice makeup for this game. Uh, what's what's fun there uh, that you'll note is uh, Barony of Letnev made it through. That was kind of a scare, I think, for us. One of the first things right. we reacted to in the game was just like, oh, how could they let Barony through? Why are, why are people letting any blue factions through at all? This is madness. Um, but we had Barony in Dreadful Influence. So if you're, I feel like that's even worse. If you're going to let Barony in, don't let him get in the Dreadnought slice. Um, right. Nine of Spades, L1Z1X was in Arby's. Necro in Arthur's Dent. Uh, Sardak Nor in Classic Pepperoni. Yin Brotherhood in Revenge of the Gashlai. And Asarl Tribes in Bento Box. Yeah, uh, this game started off with um, some, I don't know how to put it. It, it was, Barony felt strong like right away. Just, it, it felt like we were already seeing it happen, you know? Oh, we let Barony through and mm -hmm. then Barony mm -hmm. just was like solidifying an incredibly strong position right from the get-go. And it, it scared me for like what this tournament like what this fight rate i i was afraid of like any blue faction that gets in is just gonna win oh well right your, right your map sucks like that was always on my mind with this uh with this round um but i don't know everybody else was getting i, I don't think anybody had a like a dumpster fire of a first round either though which is something we were afraid of on this map right it's very easy for someone to just like i mean i guess everyone's first round more or less is gonna look the same you move all of your stuff out and then get ready so it's really the game in on this map does not start until round two right like mm -hmm. the, except for a blue person who gets to go around and and actually get some trading done and all that stuff but um you know beyond that everybody else starts the real game round two yeah i will say this uh i mean we were worried about letna but they had uh they were last pick for round right. one. Yeah, that basically. was a, that was kind of the saving grace is, you know, a Barony Aletnev with tech or warfare on this map is even more devastating. Warfare Barony, would have been insane. Yeah, yeah. Barony got uh gravity drive round one off a of tech, but I'm, you're mm -hmm. not gonna stop Barony from doing that. There's too much money in the coffers. Um but what was fun about round two is 
Sardak Nor bought the uh, speaker token off of the Yin Brotherhood in round mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the typical agreement, whatever amount of money you trade, whatever, but the agreement is always, and if I give it to you, you'll still give me first pick round one. I mean, round two. You'll you'll let me tell you what I want, and you will not take it from me. Right. Uh, Sardak Nor was Schroeder, a player who won his prelims game due to his, uh, would you call it lying? I mean, is it just lying, or is it manipulation? Do we have no, to be... I- I don't think it's manipulative. <laughs> it's very fun to watch uh, Schroeder play. Absolutely. Uh, because, and and I wonder how this is going to pan out for him in the final game. Uh, because I do feel, uh, to be honest, like we've seen this guy break quite a few deals now. So, <laughs> right, uh, right. His reputation will be preceding him, or it better be preceding him. He kind of uh, reminds me of, actually, he. you know somebody he reminds me of? Uh, do you do you know Matt Martins? He kind of reminds uh, me of that guy a little bit. In uh, that, in uh, that, Schro- Schroeder will is totally down to make a deal and loves to negotiate. Uh, however, uh, it's because of the amount of deals that Schroeder makes, it is likely that there is going to be a scenario where he's going to need to either renegotiate right. a deal because of his current yep. like game state, uh, which I think is something I feel like that happens to you. Is like yeah. you you don't nego- make it. Don't right. make a non-binding deal with me. It's a bad idea. Right. It's a right. bad idea to ever make a non... Not because I'll definitely go back on it, but if the board state changes, I am not going to keep to that deal. It's like, no, I if I if for some reason I make a non-binding deal with you about some trade goods and then not like economic equality comes out and I go from 15 to 5 trade goods, you're not going to see those trade goods ever again. Right, right. <laughs> of course. But and I think that's actually true for a majority of players. It's yeah. just I think it comes down to how much are you uh, playing above the table? Because yeah. it, if it is a lot, which I right. would say in your case and in Schroeder's case, it yes. is a high amount, yep. um, then the likelihood that you're going to be in a situation where you need to um, either go back on your word or or just completely... Right. Just basically straight up... You're not, It's not lying. It's just no. that... It's just that your word is not a bond... So right. there's no the honesty game... to your deal because you right. sh- the, the person on the other side of the deal should know I'm whatever we say now does not mean anything in 30 minutes. Right. So you kind of whenever I feel like you're dealing with a player like that, you have to kind of look into the future a little bit. Yeah. What is the likelihood that this person is going to actually hold to this deal? Right. Um, and I feel like with the speaker token thing, it's not likely that no, someone exactly. would ever hold. Well, could because why? I'll never they? trust anybody. I, that's why I don't make that deal. If I'm going to sell you the speaker token, it's for what I'm going to earn right now. And you you take what you want to take. I'm not going to make a part of that deal of let me have first pick. I'll hope for that. But right. I can't make that a part of the deal because that, I just don't trust you enough. Because if the next objective that comes out is spend three command counters and everybody's low on command counters and you can take leadership first come on you should you right. should take it and you should go back on the deal you just should but not all players are like that no though. no that, lots of players a, will, will is- earnestly hold to it and say okay well i guess i'll take trade instead and you can have leadership but i just think that's wild um that's the thing that root <laughs> that's the thing that root and i you'll constantly hear us in the in the background talking about how we just wish people would break deals which is why schroeder is one of our favorite people to to watch because he's never afraid to break a deal and that's what he did right at the top i mean that's what's so surprising about it and why it's noteworthy too though is because it was not very long between when he made the deal about the speaker token and when he broke the deal about the speaker token and that's a round two deal break right so like 
Schroeder started off the game. I, I don't think in his prelim game he started off lying right away. In his prelim game, he was no, no. He was making deals, and then by the end, conditions changed, and he had to had to lie. This was just like immediately like, "Hi, I'm Schroeder, and you shouldn't trust me." Right, right. <laughs> Which was, and he's playing Sardak Nor. It was very right. exciting. Yeah, it's it was ballsy. very exciting. But he's um, in. He's in. Uh, classic let's explain that we've actually we've actually danced around it a little bit. Like so, so Mage wanted warfare. Right? Is that how right. it went down? I believe it was that. I didn't. I didn't specifically write that down, uh, but I'm pretty sure it was. It was Mage needed warfare. Actually, I probably do have it. Get it? Because uh, Sardak Nor did take warfare round two. Yep. So yeah, Mage needed warfare uh, as the Yin Brotherhood uh, to to use their carrier. They have two carriers. They want to get stuff around. They wanted to move all over the place, and and yeah, Sardak Nor took warfare straight from them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was literally the conversation of, all right, so you said you wanted first pick. What do you want? Warfare. Uh, well, that sucks. I'm taking warfare. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I, I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, other notable stuff for round two, um, the L1-Z1X is the one who managed to jump on Mechatol. Mechatol, I think, is an interesting kind of gambit on this map because you're choosing Mechatol over probably at least one Equidistant, if not both, depending on mm-hmm. your faction. Uh, and L1, I, I feel like the note for every single faction is whoever took the Custodian's token stretched themselves pretty thin, because that's what I wrote down here for L1. They stretched thin to get the Custodian's token. Right, um, and and their neighbor was Panster as Letnev, who had a lot of plastic and yeah, quickly. It, right. it felt like for a majority of the game, especially going into the mid-game, that... Barony was just a very strong, scary presence. I mean, we yeah. weren't just scared of them because of the blue, um, because of the blue tech. I feel like right. Panzer in general has a play style of like um, having leverage over people because yeah. of superior. It's I don't know. A, a, a rude way would be to say that it's it's like he's more on the space risk uh, side, but not in uh-huh. a mean way. And like a like I I could see Panzer being like I'm going to. Focus on building up. Uh, I'm going to get plastic on the on the table, and yeah. then we're going to focus on victory points. points. Right. Um, right. Which I don't his... even know that he skipped any victory points. I'm just no. saying that that's my general feeling about him. Right. Because uh, I just feel like in both games, I just remember feeling like Panster just had a lot of plastic. Yeah. And what I loved about the L1's uh, uh, plays in that round, too, is... By stretching themselves thin, they open themselves up, but they very quickly sealed the deal with Barony to trade uh, ceasefires. So they had protection there, and they had Diplo that round, and uh, and I think that I think the main reason they picked Diplo is so that they could jump on Custodians because lots of people were close enough, so they were just like, mm-hmm. I want to I want to get there right away. Right, right. Uh, but more importantly, they stalled Diplo out the entire round, so people like Barony who like have a really easy way to make a lot of money off of Diplo, nobody got to use Diplo. Like not, I don't think a single person used Diplo. I think L one was the last person to pass. If right. they weren't, I might be mistaken, but I know a lot of people did not get to take advantage of diplomacy in, in a way that mattered very much mm-hmm. um so they didn't get punished for stretching thin they they made a, a you know one of those ceasefire alliances and kept people from getting a lot of resources that they could have gotten in a round two yeah um, so I, I loved l1's play to get themselves a point and kind of hold back the rest of the table from like growing as much as they could mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh what do we think about mantis because i remember being i actually don't think I saw I, I did not get to see Mantis's uh prelims play. Yeah. Um there's a lot of heat around Mantis as a player. A lot of right. people uh have a lot of respect for 
for him. Well, he plays um, a lot on Tabletop Simulator. Right, he's right. a very active member of the community, and he's one of the people who helps design the mod. I mean, he 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 does a lot of the work in putting new components into the mod so he's already just like a beloved member of the community yeah, right because right. of that part of it just like yeah you're fun to play with but also one of the reasons we have some of the stuff we have is because of you so right. thanks thanks a right. lot yeah that's, um, that's good to take some time right now and just say thanks to mantis uh one thing that i think is interesting about his play style that i feel like i was seeing in this game was like he's kind of a I, I don't know if that if it was just this game, which is why I was saying like I, I did not see the one before. Yeah. Uh, but he kind of felt like a sleeper lead. Like yeah. it was like Mantis is actually like doing well and not drawing a lot of attention to himself. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is which is weird because he was playing Isarl, which I like. Which I guess Isarl in general within the tournament does not feel like they've carried the kind of heat. Yeah. that they do in the regular world. I don't know what that is. Um, right. But I mean, I feel like I generally feel like in a, someone playing a Sarl, like I'm, I'm worried about them because there's right. going to be that late game action yeah. card craziness. Yeah. I think how Mantis secured that is he, he plays incredibly diplomatically. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he uses his charisma to his favor, which is just like, he stays friendly and he honors deals and people trust him. Uh, by the end of round two, he was sharing both of his equidistant systems. Like yeah, both neighbors yeah. had right. one planet and he had the other planet. So he was in both equidistance, uh, which is convenient for just for like all sorts of different sorts of positioning things. Um, you know, lots of action cards relate to that. You, you have advantage when you, if you can manage to pull off getting ceasefires or support for the thrones, having infantry just in weird little planets, but then giving up the, the space isn't the worst thing in the world. And it curries a lot of favor. So like you're saying, he kind of just like had all these extra planets but also had both of his neighbors happy because they got to have planets too. And he just played it out that way of just like, let's yeah. keep everybody happy so that nobody looks at me and nobody pays attention to what I have going on. So one thing I think is interesting about the tournament and uh, like us watching the game is I always, and I wish we had recorded this every time. It, you would have to come through so much video now to figure it out. But there's always that first player that, it's not necessarily the first player that for sure has a path because we are not infallible and we miss stuff. Even when we have all the information, we miss stuff. Right. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that one thing that I thought was really crazy about this game was when we, Mantis was that player in this game, that right. first player that we were like, oh, wow, there's 10 points. Like yeah. we just we just figured out the what path. What their path was, yeah. And it felt like at that time, now if you keep if you keep watching that game, eventually uh, it it he is very much uncovered. Uh, right. But there was a point where we saw a path and it just felt like Mantis was not even on the radar. Right. Basically. Nobody was counting his stuff. Nobody was looking at his stuff. Mm -hmm. It was just like, yeah, there was just no nothing anybody could do. Um, mostly because I, I think multiple other players were just drawing targets on themselves, even if it wasn't point targets. It was like positional stuff. You know, when someone's yeah. just like, I don't know, Barony yeah. looks really big right now. Right. And that becomes the, the topic of conversation for everyone is like, how do we stop how big Barony is or whatever? I don't I, I don't even I wouldn't even say it's like Barony was that case in this game. I will say it by round five. We had it pegged of Isarl and Barony have a line to victory in round right. five. Like they right. they could, you know, they could close this out. What needed right. to happen was Isarl had to take Mechatol, which was not a small feat. It was it was loosely defended, but there take Mechatol. And get a green tech, and he would win scoring as uh, 
the last in status. Like, he would win in the status phase, scoring with Imperial. He needed right. to take Imperial, get that Mechatol point, and get a green tech. And he could have won. But that's, like, way throwing your neck out there to get Mechatol, playing Imperial right. on it, and everyone looks at you, right? That's the problem. And we've seen that multiple times, too. If someone can win if they take Imperial and get Mechatol and play Imperial on it. Right. But, like, nobody likes to win that route because it's such an obvious gambit that you're doing when you do that everyone's right. like they have a path they can win it right now like yeah. everyone looks at you the second you have imperial on mechatol yeah and in fact i feel like we need a term for like i feel like we've touched on this a little bit in the past but just the idea that so like if you are that player and you have imperial and you're gonna bet basically have to telegraph to the entire table that you have a path to victory the likelihood that there are certain action cards that are definitely in someone's hand yeah. and it is going to get played on you. Right. Um, that is a very real thing. Yeah. Uh, and that I think is one of the main things that like, you know, when people talk about the classic Twilight Imperium way of being like, oh, so like the there's the leader, but the leader doesn't win. It's always like second. Right. It kind of relates to the brown hat thing where we're talking about yeah, with the, sure. uh, the smurfing, the smurfing yeah. thing, which I think I, I feel like that, that, that yeah, I, I love that thing, uh, and I've been thinking about it a lot actually since the last <laughs> episode. Um, but Mantis was uh, definitely got to that point, and I think for a while we were talking about Mantis, and we were talking about Panster, and then I don't even remember quite how Schroeder just I, I have it got so his way in there. Yeah, yeah give, let me give let it me to detail us. it because so so we've detailed Mantis's path. Barony needed to keep five dreadnoughts and attack the point leader. Um, which was kind of a was going to be an interesting thing for them to try to time out to to win a combat again. They needed to spark a rebellion. Yeah, spatially so it was going to be difficult. But what what happened was, <laughs> and it's this is really hard to describe uh, audibly. If you can go to the game and pull up the visual, it becomes a little bit more obvious. But the issue was that the Yin Brotherhood had a uh, had their flagship out on the board. And uh, everyone was afraid of what uh, different secrets Barony could have. Basically, at this point, everyone was looking at Barony. No one was looking at uh, Mantis as Asarl. So, again, right. we detailed Asarl was trying to stay under the radar and not do this crazy gambit to win. Barony was just like, you're the target. We got to deal with you. How do we keep you from winning? And his path wasn't that hard. But he had to essentially attack uh, the Yin Brotherhood, if I'm, if I'm remembering. Or, no, he had to attack Asarl. Whoever the victory point leader was, I don't remember exactly. But... Uh, they convinced the Yin Brotherhood to send his flagship into the Sardak so that it is no longer a target. Now I know, and I can't. I'm I'm forgetting a couple details because obviously winning against the leader, you can't win a combat against the Van Hog. So that's not the point. What they thought was that Barony had destroyed their greatest ship. Right, right. So they were like, "You have to get rid of that thing right now. You have to like go kill it because otherwise Barony will kill it." So. Uh, and this whole time, Schroeder, as Sardak Nor, is staying very quiet about that fact because Schroeder had in his hand destroy their greatest ship. And his only path to victory was if he could score that. He wouldn't do it this round, but it would stop everyone else from being able to win it, and it would put him on track for next round. So Schroeder never told anybody that, no, guys, you don't have to worry about that because all the way he's seeing it is as long as Mantis and Barony do not win, I can be set up in a great position if Yin detonates himself into me which yin eventually did it took like multiple kind of go around the tables before everyone was like no it, that's what you have to do yin does it 
And now Sardak is tied for the lead. What this did, though, is it made this horrible situation where Manta uh, or uh, Sardak was on Mechatol Rex and is the victory point leader, and Barony is in striking distance. So now Barony has even more incentive to jump on uh, on the Sardak Nor because that's an easy point. It was a loose again a loosely defended Mechatol, and Barony could easily wipe out that fight and win the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mantis, as a Sarl, knows this and has his eye on Mechatol, but one of his plan was to stall it out all around. He was just going to keep stalling so that then he would take Mechatol last, play Imperial, and win. He's a Sarl. Easy to do. Right. But now there was suddenly a situation where there is one turn where you have to take Mechatol or you lose. Because if Barony takes it, they'll get the point they need, and they'll score before you in the status phase, and you will not win. So Mantis had to jump on Mechatol that exact moment um, just to prevent Barony from winning and give themselves a chance for the win, which meant uh, <laughs> that Barony, after Mantis takes Me- uh, Mechatol Rex, Barony has to win a combat against Sardak or Yin before Sarl's next turn. It was just like, it, it kept piling up on top of each other. Right? It, was hot, like, it was a real hot potato ending. Yeah, it yeah. was like the most hot potato we've had. Um, but eventually, Barony attacks a Yin cruiser and actually loses. Um, he, he does what is supposed to be a not that difficult fight, but gets wiped out. I think there was like enough PDS to stop it was the problem. Um, everyone spent the game trying to take Mechatar X from Isarl. Uh, Necro went in to soften it, and then L1 took it from Isarl. So now Isarl doesn't have victory in his clutches. They took it before he was able to play Imperial. Right. But now Yin has a chance to win. Uh, but Isarl, uh, Yin's only chance to win was, uh, to get enough trade goods, and he had been secretly holding on to an industrial initiative, and Isarl, this is, this is the beauty of Mantis as a player. Mantis, multiple times in this game, called out exactly what people's secret objectives were. Yeah, it was creepy. It was like, it was as if Mantis, like, had a secret way to see our screen. right. Because we would be talking about, like, somebody's secret objective, and Mantis would just deduce yeah. it like he's right. like sherlock it's right, ridiculous right. so he he had like deduced yin's secret and knew that yin was trying to get trade goods for a public objective so he decided i have to uh, even though yin doesn't necessarily look like they could win when i'm gonna magi on him i'm gonna look at his action cards they saw the industrial initiative and went well gonna take that so that you can't get your trade goods and then nobody was able to win that round which left Asarl and barony at nine now if you'll hear mantis tell the story he regrets taking that industrial initiative because another option was to take a sabotage. And if he had taken right. the sabotage, he could have just sabotaged the industrial initiative. And, and there'd be one less sabotage out there. There'd be one less sabotage. Them. Or if the industrial initiative isn't the thing that's going to win in the game, then he just lets him play industrial initiative and he gains himself a sabotage for his own end game plays next round. Right. Um, it's hard to know that in the moment. So it's not like any, we all thought it was, it's a good pick. Take that industrial initiative, keep Yin from winning. But the way he puts it, that's sort of what maybe cost him the game in the long run. Right. So then going into round six, Sarl and Baroneer at nine, we see L1 as the speaker take Imperial, which means neither of them are getting it, right? Nobody's going to win in the action phase. Mm-hmm. It would seem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Necro's at six, or I'm sorry, Necro takes uh, Warfare, Sardak Nor takes Diplomacy, and how many times have we seen the player who ends up with Diplomacy being the one who wins the game? It's so yeah. interesting that Imperial seems like the best choice, because you can score during the round. Next best choice is Leadership. Usually, someone who's trying to get Leadership gets publicly disgraced, which is exactly what happened here. Sardak took Leadership, had it taken away from them, so they took Diplomacy instead. Yin Brotherhood gets uh, Leadership. Asarl gets Politics. Barony takes 
trade. Um, and right off the bat, Sardak is the favorite to win now because of the Diplo pick. Right. Because uh, he's got two upgrades in the bag, he's got five action cards in the bag, and he has diplomacy. So yeah, he's going to lock down his home system. I want to talk about one thing real quick before we sure. kind of like finish up, like tie the bow on this one. Yeah. I, I want to talk about Greenflame a little bit. Yes. Uh, the, a player that we have not really mentioned. Greenflame was playing as Necro. And I feel like, I want to say that I think uh, Greenflame had the worst luck yeah. of any Necro player that yeah. I have seen in the tournament. Um, there were many times that Necro got blocked from tech just kind of by happenstance. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it was like people just had the right action cards at the right time to like soak all of the hits. Right. Uh, but I just wanted to throw that out there as like, uh, I feel like Green Flame had the most like, man, just the RNG did, yeah. was not kind to him. Right. Really at all. That, is, that has certainly happened to a couple players where we, we look, if you look at their final scores, their final scores are not fitting with the quality of player they are. Right. Yeah. If you were to look at the semifinals, you, you, there's sometimes, you know, you, if you look at Green Flame's score, he ended with six. Right. Uh, so did Nine of Spades. Two players ended with six, but both of those players I would not describe as something where it was like, oh yeah, they were they weren't on the same level as Mantis and Schroeder. Absolutely not. Because some players at the table just have to get unlucky. That's kind of right. how TI goes. N- Nine of Spades, in fact, actually had one of my fur my favorite fervorite. I almost said fervorite. Uh, <laughs> had one of my favorite prelims wins uh, as Yin. He was right. like he played as Yin and had like no ships for like half the game yeah yeah yeah. and like one still it was very fun uh that was a very fun game i forget which prelims game it was but it was very cool you should check it out so i want to talk about uh so mantis was doing his sherlock thing correctly deducing all of the secret objectives and he correctly deduced what schroeder's secret objective was to win which was uh the action card thing to to discard five action cards Uh, i believe schroeder had six action cards in his hand that's correct Uh, so that meant Mantis having uh, Magion could not by himself stop Schroeder. Right. However, he was like, I will specifically, I just thought this play was such such a funny, yeah. like really cool. Like, I'm not saying it's particularly genius to even note that you could do this, but it this was all built on the fact that Mantis was able to deduce it. Yeah. His plan was, I will give Green Flame Necro I will give Necro Magion, right. and then we will both Magion Schroeder, and then he will not be able to win. Right. And if Green Flame had agreed to that plan, Schroeder would not have won. And I'm right. pretty sure at that point, because uh, I've, I'm pretty sure initiative order-wise, Mantis would have won if Schroeder hadn't. And I uh, might be pulling that n- out of nowhere. Well, or so, was it Panster? So Yin was the n- initiative. Uh, priority, but Yin had kind of the worst chance now uh, to just, get just the, the hardest point. point. Asarl, mm-hmm. uh, Mantis had options, so Mantis was kind of a next option, but even his was a little bit slow going. I think Barony was the next favorite to win. Yeah. Um, so it was really deciding between Sardak and Barony, if I'm remembering right. That could be right. that could be wrong. I just think that 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 was such a crazy moment in that game that someone would be like, okay, so. Here's here's how we stop this player is we both use Magion on him. Right. And there's just no counter to that. I mean, right. there's no counter for yeah. Mage. If someone uses Magion on you, they get You're to do done. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, in fact, I'm, I definitely am getting that wrong. It wasn't Barony with the next option, but the what what ended up happening was Green Flame just said, I can't. I can't do that. It feels King Makey because mm-hmm. Green Flame didn't have skin in the game, right? It wasn't, he, he wasn't on the radar win. There were like four players and one of them was going to win. 
uh, they didn't know this, and this is kind of always my defense of kingmaking, or de- like defense against people talking about winmaking, uh, but it's it's just that like you don't know that everybody has it for certain. But in this one, they pretty much deduced it out. Um, and what was what was really fun after that then was <laughs> Schroeder, to try to secure his victory, made a really interesting deal with Yin at the end of the game, uh, which... Uh, in any other circumstance would feel just straight up dirty. I mean, would feel like an absolutely disgusting play. Mm-hmm. But but what it was doing at the meta level was fascinating and Mantis's meta play against that was even more fa- What happened was they went from a tactical board game king-making situation to this weird meta king-making situation. Mm-hmm. Uh so and I am probably going to forget some of these details. You have to watch the end of this game. It is like the weirdest puzzle developed by mankind. Uh, Sardak Nor decided, if you're going to make me lose my action cards, this is before Green Flame has officially said no. Uh, he says, well, if you guys are going to make me lose my action cards, I'm going to do a support for the throne swap with the Yin Brotherhood. I believe the Yin was at eight. This would put them to nine. What that did was Yin was one point shy of winning the game. Right. Uh, not not in that moment, but during the status phase, they would be able to win it if they had one more point. Maybe they were at seven. It was probably they were at seven, and they could score the two-pointer, but they had no tenth point. And mm-hmm. so so Sardak Nor said, if you, if you all are going to make me lose my action cards, I'm going to support for the throne swap with uh, the Yin Brotherhood, which would put Sardak at something like eight or nine himself and maybe because he's also up a point he doesn't need the five action cards but it still means yin is scoring before him so technically unless they don't stop yin he could still win like if, if they stop yin he could still win right so it's not king making he's not just saying i'm giving a yin to win he's saying i'm leaving mm-hmm. my options on the table if i do a support for the throne swap with yin uh to which mantis responded by they knew that the yin brotherhood needed four industrial planets and uh, and I'm gonna, this is where I'm really going to mess it up because it is so heady what happened. But Mantis blocked off one of Yin's options but left another option completely wide open and was like, here's the red carpet. Come take this industrial planet. Um, but if Sardak Nor is going to do a support for the throne swap, I'm going to make it even more uncomfortable for you. I'm going to make it an even more obvious king-making situation like to to counter sardak oh Norris, my God. so so the issue was yin had a slim chance to getting the industrial planets he needed mm-hmm. and mantis is saying i will make that easier so that you don't need sardak Nor's support for the throne i'm gonna here's here's the red wow. carpet here's the industrial wow. planets don't take his support for the throne so like two people sort of king-making against each other to both give yin the game that was all predicated on Green Flame, also king-making. So it was like a three-way king-making non-alliance. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the weirdest the weirdest play from everybody, but brilliant. And in the end, I mean, it was finally decided on just Green Flame couldn't, couldn't bring himself to enter into and that. And you know what? I Like, Green Flame is so right. Like, yeah. that is totally the right call in that situation because if the only reason to interfere in my eyes in the in the 11th hour yeah is because it will result in you having a shot at winning right. and it just sounded like there there was not like if if you are in what is going to be the last round of the game and you know for sure you need another round yeah. which is not like 
I know there's a lot of people that say like, oh, never give up. No, you can look at your hand yep. and see that you need another round right. and that there is not a way to get another round out of the game. Yeah. So I totally stand by that. Like there are totally yeah. situations like that. People are going to say like, no, but what if the, what if everything lined up and everybody messed up and then there was suddenly right. another round? Yeah. Uh, that's that's wild and it will happen sometime. But I do think that I do think Greenflame made the right call. Sure. But what's also different about this too is not only is it uh, everything you just said, but the action they were requiring Necro to do wasn't even something that would do anything for them at all, right? Yeah. There's a difference between go take their home system, get a positional advantage, you'll help the table out or whatever. Or, you know, there there are things like that where it's like, you're going to, you're, you're not hurting yourself. You're, you're helping the table or whatever. This was just straight up, I take an action card from Sardak so they can't win. That's it. That's the, that's the only thing mm-hmm. my impact mm-hmm. does. And I think the, the, the thing that made Greenflame even more uncomfortable with it was the how they had to go about it to get it. The, the fact that Mantis had to sacrifice a ship to Necro so that he could even... Like, Necro didn't already have Mageon. It was not in Necro's plans to get Mageon. They were across right, the map from right. him, and he was just like, oh, that's not a tech I'm going to get. And Mantis opening that up purely to stop sardak from winning that was just where he had to draw the line he even it was funny because he even took the tech he did kill the ship and take the tech to leave his option open but it was while he was like still milling it over and he spent a couple turns being like saying i'm not doing it right now i'm not doing it. i can't i don't i don't know i can't feel i don't feel like i can do it and finally made, made the call and, and that was more or less when the game ended and see that's smart too though because to me it just if if i was in that situation i would want to see, to look at, to look at everybody else's game and see where yep. they were at, and just see how much crazy stuff has right. happened. Well, that's what you know what I mean. Yeah, like, I agree. That's what's really great about it too is there. There's plenty of lying that's already happened. So for everyone to say no, it's definitely gonna help. It's not necessarily king making. Green Flame took the time to figure out what the actual path to victory for everyone was, and when he mm-hmm. saw that, yes, someone definitely will win based on my action. That like I can't make that call. I can't make that decision. There was right. he 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 gave it enough time for everyone to count out what all was going to happen to where he. That's when he made the call. He didn't he didn't jump on it too early. And, and that's, this is that's what and, I like and, about it. And what we're talking about is four four players with a with a route to ten. Yeah, basically. Right. I mean they they didn't obviously they didn't all get to score. I think only one of them got to score. Right. Because Sardak in the final scored, round, yeah. because then Sardak scored second and right. got to ten, and then the game was over. Um. So I mean. I don't even remember who had leadership at the end. Actually, I think it was Yen. Mage. Yeah. Yen had Yen, leadership. Yen had leadership. Yeah. Um, so they were able to get to nine. Yeah. And they would have they it would have been ten with the uh, with uh everything else. If they if they had carried out the plan that they were talking about. Exactly. Oh, wild game. Wild really game. loved it. A lot of really great play from uh everybody. Everyone was uh so much fun to watch, and I really liked the different styles. I felt like Mantis and Schroeder are kind of like two like very different meta. Yeah. But absolutely. do a lot of sim they have a lot of similar tactics, but the way that they deal is completely right. different. Yeah. Panzer, I feel like was like almost the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Right. As far as like how not even really that many deals, right? No. Just kind of not, like not really a deal guy. Uh yeah. but uh yeah I'm 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 really excited to see all of these players play again in the knockout. Yeah. Um 
Are we ready for you to take over and do story time? <laughs> story time story for Hunter. Time so, Hunter, you you caught bits and pieces of the second game, right? Or maybe just the end? I forget when. I only caught the end. The and, very tail end. And there really was it was it was the kind of thing where I sat down and you were like, "It's it is it's done. It yeah. it is over." That's right. Um, so so let's yeah let me break it down. Um, this draft was a fun one because there was lots of discussion. Um, in the in the beginning of the draft, trying they they were trying to make it. They were really trying to cultivate a game, right? This and that's mm-hmm. that's what I always wanted from the prelims. And now that we're getting into these players that um are thinking about that stuff a little bit more, and even more importantly, on a map where it's like your faction kind of matters a lot, probably. Um, so I think that's what's forcing the draft to to get a lot more conversation going around it, which mm-hmm. is. Super exciting for me and just what I wanted. Um, but in this one, Hakan was our only blue faction that made it through the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so two games so far, two blue factions in each. And I would say Hakan is certainly not the powerhouse that Barony is on this particular map. Right. Um, what was interesting here, too, is everyone kind of cries that, uh, cr- like, talks about how Classic Pepperoni is, like, the best pick. And everyone picked Slices first this draft. Like, every almost everybody, I think. And classic pepperoni was the third pick, so two people prioritized other slices over classic pepperoni. So come on, put your you- pizza where your mouth is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, so here's who we had: we had unaligned magi as the extra kingdom in classic pepperoni. Magi, we- magi. We had Mifi bread as Asarl in uh, Revenge of the Gashly. We had Gigawatts as Nalu in Bento Box. We had Wild as Arborek in De- uh, Dreadful Influence. We had Imsen as the L1Z1X in Arby's. And we had Seven as Hakan in Arthur's Dent. Um, how, how daring do you feel like it was to pick... Ar- like, was was Wild kind of forced to pick Arborek? Or, I mean, I guess I can't imagine it's how It's hard to remember exact, exactly. I think it was something like between Arborek and Ghosts or something. Like, it was... I I felt weird about the Arborek pick, but there's been lots of talk about how like maybe Arborek isn't so bad on this map because round one is a little bit of a crapshoot for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't hate the pick. Um, you will see in this game it did not pan out for a while very well. Arborek never quite lifted off the ground. I would say he he started to pick up. He 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 didn't get crushed. Right, nobody completely gutted him, and what you see sometimes happen to Arborek. But it still was a tricky Arborek game. Um, mm-hmm. And his other pick, I don't think, was, like, way better. So it's not like it was a bad pick to take Arborek. Right, right. Um, th- my first note here is, all of the luck goes in Unaligned Magi's favor. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was actually really annoying to see how many things he got. He was third pick, and he got Classic Pepperoni. And he's probably one of the most vocal proponents of, like, Classic Pepperoni is broken. It's so good. Um, I'm I'm giving him grief. All right, so Magi, but, Magi. But more Magi. importantly, he got speaker token. He mm-hmm. he got to pick first, so of course he took warfare. He's extra, and uh, the player who took politics, Imson, played politics right away. Like his first action was to play politics, and he even said when he played it, "All right, the flank speed lottery begins now." And he played politics, and everyone got to try to draw uh, action cards, and unaligned Magi got a flank speed. In wow. round one. So his before he'd even taken a single action, he had a flank speed ready to go to and warfare. So like Magi was gonna get whatever he wanted that this this round, basically. Oh, I thought I thought Magi took trade first round. 
I'm sorry, you're right. Why did I say warfare? I get I always do that with five and six, but he did he did take trade, but even still, the flank speed helps get him out there. And and right, he's going right. to get what he wants. He's gonna get the jump on whoever took uh, you know, Mifi took warfare uh, as the Asarl. He's going to get his equidistant before Mifi can, and Mifi was his neighbor. Um so he had just all of this luck going into it, and he had trade, and we know what unaligned magi can do with tra- like he he manages to to spend his money wisely. Right. So I was just all, I started this game terrified because my, I just felt like magi was going to have it. By the end of round one, he had nine trade goods. Um. So wow. he he did good on trade. I wouldn't say that's like a crazy trade, but but with extra, you know, you're guaranteed three to get six more outside of that. It's pretty good. Right, um, and and extra did so well in the prelims map. Right, uh, like for some reason. For some reason. For some reason, extra is just like an all-star faction <laughs> when it comes to the tournament. I don't right. know what's going on with that. Yeah. Um, the rest of the stuff round one though, uh, what was fun is Hakan stalled out tech long enough, or uh, Hakan had uh, leadership and managed to stall long enough to be able to get gravity drive. And get three carriers. He stalled out all of his stuff properly where he was getting enough money where he got an extra carrier and got gravity drive, which is hard to do as a con. You don't really get a ton of money. He, he did mm-hmm. good trades. I don't remember. Maybe his trade was just a... It wasn't a three for six with extra, but it was probably wasn't far off. Either way, um, you know, everybody was going into round two with a decent position with unaligned magi in kind of a great position. Um what was interesting about round two is this is a game where all the players just agreed to expand in the same direction. It was there was just this moment of like let's all go clockwise, mm-hmm. and that that's just going to work out for everybody. And they did right. it, and nobody nobody really was like that weird about it. Um, what was weird in round two is the Nalu Collective gave away Gift of the Prescience. Whoa! To seven, uh, and seven Whoa. was seven said, "Hey, I want it, but." On the pre- and this is going into our our speaker token conversation from earlier. But Seven said, "I want it, but I want it so that I can use it next round. That's my plan. I'm using it next round. You'll get it right back. I guarantee it." Uh, so he got Gift of the Prescience, and going into round three, Hakan uh, did not use Gift of the Prescience. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately broke that deal uh, and everyone knew it was going to happen. Everyone kind of was like, when Nalu was giving it away, everyone was like, what? No, what are you doing? Don't do this. This is this is terrible. How could you? Um, but I'll say this much. He did not end up saving it till the end of the game. I'll spoil that. But just the fact that he immediately went back on that deal had everybody sort of like freaked out by seven and seven essentially had the same reputation as schroeder in his game which was like you broke a deal immediately i i have no reason to trust you i'll still try to do some deals with you but i'm gonna try to make sure they're binding uh you you don't get any more unbinding deals uh from anybody um after that uh x this was uh unaligned magi's game if we were to uh, put it in a weird way, was decided by a really terrible thing that he did. He was a bad, bad boy. Uh, Unaligned Magi. Wait, I, I didn't know this. He did something extra, bad? He was an evil... I think I told you about this, but he did an evil thing. Um, he made a, a, a deal with Asarl, which was that Asarl wanted to move into a space and not have Extra's PDS fire. And oh, it was happening... Right. It's, it's, it is it is Asarl's turn, and Asarl says... Extra, if I move into this system, will you not fire at me? And Extra says, sure, I won't fire at you if you give me one trade good or two trade goods, whatever it was. I don't know. Some amount of money. Give me some money. I won't fire my PDS. I think it was one trade good. Um, Asarl then activates the system, moves ships in, and Unaligned Magi says, okay, I'm going to fire my PDS, and I'm going to activate Graviton Laser Systems. 
Oh God. And, and 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 that was legal because and as Sorrel it, said, what what are you talking about? We just made a deal, and Unaligned Magi said, no, that was a non-binding deal. If you wanted it to be binding, you should have asked me to do that after movement. Mm-hmm. To which Asarl said, cool, I don't trust Unaligned Magi ever again. No more right. deals with him, and it wiped out uh, Asarl's fleet and set Asarl back a huge amount. I mean, that was like Asarl's main fleet that got completely knocked out by one pds roll basically um love it love yeah. it it's the tournament baby right. well that's what root and i were saying is like that's dirty and that's evil but that's what we've been begging for for like 19 games 18 right. games is like right. someone break a deal come on have the chutzpah um so lots of other movement lots of positional stuff uh nalu took some space over lodor from extra kind of jumped around to get get in their slice um everyone's taking stuff from each other some of them is offers some of us just like nope i'm taking it this was i would say this game was categorized by more aggressive behavior than deal making uh, more mm-hmm. just like i'm taking this and we can work out what that means to you but i am going to take it so let's right, move on right. from that. Um, that that happened a number of times um uh Asarl eventually took uh mechatol rex from the hakan um, right when the when Unaligned Magi started calling out Hakan, which is seven, as like someone who's getting away with too much, uh, which was sort of true, but also so was Unaligned Magi. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, kind of the the pot calling the kettle black there. But right. but that's what you have to do, right? You got to paint your biggest contender as the target and try to keep yourself from being that target. Mm-hmm. Um, so by doing that, L one started to dig into Hakan's slice uh, and. There was a fun agenda where six riders got played on wormhole reconstruction agenda. Uh, but the thing that decided it was the fact that Isaro played a politics rider on it, and they basically just could not allow the speaker token to move. So a politics rider sort of decided a bunch of other people's riders. Um, and we started to get into this situation. So, so after round four is where we're starting to look at the hot potato, right? Every time. Round five is where hot potato starts. Right. Um, there was a really, really long strategy phase uh, because um, Extra was tied for the lead and ha- with Hakan, and Hakan had Spark a Rebellion. So now Hakan now had a target for Spark of the Rebellion, which they didn't for like two rounds. Um, but everyone was trying to figure out what points they could block. They like they were in the strategy phase deciding what did they need to be able to block everyone else from getting points. Oh, they were doing strategy in the strategy phase. They were doing phase? strategy in the great. strategy phase. It's, yeah, it's an interesting new development. Um but they were both looking at Extra and Hakan and just all the other four players were saying, what do each of us need to take to put Hakan and Extra in their place? Uh Oof. which was yeah, I mean it was it was interesting to finally kind of see something like that where it's like everyone decided it wasn't just let's all attack Hakan. It was like there are two and we have to stop both of them. What can we all do to do this? Um, so Extra was in this situation where if Extra had taken uh, Warfare that round, they actually could have won. Uh, but it's, again, another situation where it's one of those slightly long shots. And Magi, you know, wants to take the safer path to victory and just hope that they end up in a good position round six. But if they had taken Warfare, Warfare had some trade goods on it, and those trade goods wouldn't have been enough for a stage two public objective. And Warfare would have given him the access to do the amount of actions he needed to do to score his secrets and win him the game. But again, that's sort of like a, ooh, I have to really just go for it. Um, so... What what then happens is Hakan makes some moves with Diplo. Um, 
defends his home system. He's waiting on attacks. Uh, there, there's definitely, I think, more heat on Hakan than there was on Extra. Uh, even a situation where Extra had to jump in to soften Hakan up, um, but there was a uh, <laughs> he 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 was losing the attack. Um, he, he jumped on Hakan. Hakan had Spark a Rebellion. The only player he can Spark a Rebellion against is Extra, and Extra just launched an attack into Hakan and got really bad dice rolls and was losing the attack. Uh, but what and and Root and I were freaking out in the commentary. We were like, why would he? Why does? Why did he need to do this attack? It wasn't it wasn't good enough in his favor that he should have done this. But what we weren't realizing is he was also pocketing a skilled retreat. So as soon as the fight went too far south he just skilled retreated out and because skilled retreat ends in a draw hakan did not get to spark a rebellion against extra and that was like hakan's last chance to do any combat that round hakan had gotten so sequestered into their slice that he had really only had one fleet and it was locked down in his home system more or less or that in new albion i forget but he he didn't have a chance to do a follow-up attack so a really clever play from unaligned magi to like Listen, I can get in there, but I can also prevent him from winning a fight against me if that is his secret objective. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Then the big thing happened. The big thing is uh, Seven still actually had a chance to win the game um, because he needed two things to happen. Uh, His other secret was to destroy their greatest ship, and there were none in range. But the other person who had to come in and attack Hakan to take out his home system to prevent him from winning was the Nalu Collective who the only way they could get there was bringing their flagship and a bunch of fighters and one ground force, and that would be the entire fleet. Uh, so suddenly, just after Excha invades Hakan, and Hakan doesn't get to spark a rebellion, now Nalu is invading Hakan, giving Hakan a chance to uh, destroy their greatest ship. And actually, the dice rolls went horribly in Nalu's favor to where uh, Nalu did lose their flagship, and Hakan won the fight. Um, but what happened one turn before that is that the Emirates of Hakan passed. Uh, no. And what they passed before doing was using their production biomes tech. And they needed four, exactly four trade goods to be able to spend 10 trade goods for a two-point objective. And it was just wow. a very simple thing of just do production biomes and get lucky with a flagship attacking you and you win the game. Literally, nothing else can be done about it. The home system's already been diploed. The people that can attack it and have lifted those command counters wow. and already attacked. So Hakan did not win that round solely because they just forgot to do production biomes. Just straight up forgot. And we, of course, couldn't walk it back. They didn't realize until about maybe two more actions later. You know, two more people went. And then he went, oh, wait, I didn't use production biomes. And we're playing strictly. He passed. That was it. Um, so wow. seven, had, wow. seven had the win and, and lost it uh, just due to his own own um you know little mistake there and and i'm sure he'll kick himself forever but uh going on from that that meant we had a round six and um basically what happened that round at the end of round five was they successfully stopped extra and hakan and both extra and hakan had very few actions that they could take and they spent the the other four players spent the rest of the round getting a lot of work done to where suddenly going into round six there were like lots of people who are now in contention. Whereas before the just before that round it was like a wide open like extra or Hakan will definitely win. Going into round six suddenly it's sort of anybody's game. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So round yeah, six. Uh, yeah, tell me a little bit how some some of the other people's games went going sure. into the last round. Especially, I'm really curious about Nalu because we haven't had a lot of, we haven't really had a lot of solid Nalu stuff yeah. in well, the tournament at all. I would say for the first half of the game, that was how this one felt too. Nalu mm-hmm. just wasn't really doing anything. Nalu did a lot of their catching up in that round four and five mm-hmm. uh, to, to where... Uh, they actually, by the end of the game, they were actually second in line to win. Um, wow! In speaker order or in in initiative order, they they were they had a win locked up. Uh, there were a few other things that happened in round six that determined that, but they Nalu, because all the heat got directed at Extra and Hakan, and those were two players basically at the opposite side of the table from them, that gave them a lot of breathing room in the second half of the game, and they they found a comeback really strong. So so I would say their 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 early game started out fairly week in fact the entire north portion of the table so bento box dreadful influence and arby's all seemed to struggle a lot early and it really just seemed like asarl hakan and sardak had the game in their favor the whole time it's funny that i haven't talked about how sarl had lots of chance like had a really uh, strong position sardak sardak uh, did I say Sardak? I'm sorry. Yeah, you said Sardak. Uh, uh, what I meant is Extra. I'm yeah. getting, I'm Isarl, getting one Hakan, and two. and Extra. Yeah, uh, but the three bottom slices: Classic yeah, Pep, right. Revenge, and uh, and Arthur's Dent. Um, those three were having a really strong game. Asaro's game was strong position wise, and they eventually caught up into having a really great points position. Um, so Asaro was always, in fact, to to give credit where it's due, Asaro was in the lead most of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Hakan, Extra, and Asarl were swapping the lead a little bit, but I feel like Asarl was always the one to pull ahead, and then the other two would catch up real quick, and then he would pull ahead, and then they would catch up. But he was sharing the victory. He just didn't ever have as obvious of a path to victory as the other two, despite always kind of sharing the victory point lead with them. Um, Arborek had a week showing here just because of the the positioning and everything arborek in dreadful influence it just didn't seem to, to be a combo that worked super well i couldn't even explain why uh there was so much attention being directed towards the south side of the the board that i think i just wasn't seeing what they were doing right and wrong i, I couldn't really give you like an in-depth analysis of wilds game um mm-hmm. and imsen his l1z1x was a lot of um sort of like panster which is like that meticulous like positional he was very quiet he was incredibly quiet the whole game which is why there wasn't as much direction being like paid to him attention being paid to him because he was just quietly accruing his fleets and doing his thing and trying to get objectives where he could he was staying close to the pack but uh it it was hard to get a beat on him because he just was like it was like poker for him you know just sitting Mm -hmm. at the table i'm not gonna talk i'm not gonna reveal to you what i'm trying to do um Mm -hmm. so going into round six um Asarl manages to get Imperial, and all they have to do is hold Nekatol Rex, and they can win. Um, but the table, uh, nobody's paying attention to that. Like That's literally all that has to happen. Asarl wins on their first action. They play Imperial and win the game. Wow. Uh, but, and, and like, Hakan went for a home system and failed, and another action happened, and then it's Xcha's turn, and then suddenly people start speaking up and going, hey, wait a second. I think Asarl's going to win if he plays Imperial. And then they counted it out and found it and saw, oh, yeah, for sure, Asarl wins. And so he basically was like two actions away from just winning one of those ones where it's like, oh, you all just weren't paying attention and you missed it. Um, But they had just enough actions to get uh, Asarl off of Mechatol Rex. Um, This was another one where the the win-making situation started and people were really 
philosophically trying to decide how they wanted to deal with it. Um, L1Z1X didn't really want to do anything to stop Asarl, didn't feel like it was his fault. In reality, Arborek had the most reason to jump on uh, Mechatol Rex, but they spent their first action building in their home system rather than jumping on Mechatol Rex. Uh, and they had the biggest fleet adjacent to it and, like, a lot of reason to want to take it. I, I don't remember if they... I think they had... Uh, control Mechatorex and have three ships. And have three above ships. It. Yeah. That, yeah. That, I may be mistaken there, though. That might be some. I feel that, like that, you said that. Yeah. Already. Yeah. Either way, um, the L1 was pretty open about being like, I'm not really interested in getting a part of this win making thing. Like, I'm going to focus on my stuff. I don't really want to deal with it. But the table talked him down because they proved that it's like, no, 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 seriously. It's just the game is just straight up over if we let Asaro get to their turn. So. Uh, begrudgingly, L1 said, fine, I'll be the hero of the table, uh, and no one's going to pay me to do it, and I'm just going to, like, throw my game to help everyone else uh, and and take Sarl off of Mechatol Rex. Uh, and they did. Uh, and this just opened up a path for Extra to have a victory. Um, and Hakan needed to basically reinforce two influence to be able to secure their win. And it turned into another situation where... Um, there was a second attack on, I believe, Hakan's uh, home system. I, I don't remember what they were trying to do, but there was another thing L1 could do, and L1 finally said, "I don't, I don't care what the outcome of this is, and I'm going to be very vocal about what I'm doing, and I, I don't care if this king makes." The point on the board is to control someone else's home system. I'm in range of Hakan's home system. It looks like Hakan maybe can win. I can't really do anything about extra, but I can further my victory by taking out his home system. That's what I'm doing, and I'm not going to listen to anything else. Because there was basically two rounds in a row where L1 was just like everyone telling L1, hey, with all your big scary fleets that are in really great positions, can you stop the leader for us? Uh, and he just spent the whole time doing that with his big fleets right, rather than right. like getting to win for himself. Um, so he finally said, this one's for me, and I'm doing it, and whatever happens, happens. Uh, and that sort of secured the win for Extra more than anything else. It was just that like taking out Hakan meant nobody else really had stuff in range. Extra's ending position was uh, amazingly strong, though. He had his flagship right there in front of his home system protecting full, everything full else. Network, full, full PDS full network. Full PDS network. If any, what, what had to happen to Extra was you would have to have taken four planets from him to take enough influence so that he couldn't spend 16 influence. And all of his planets were defended by, most of them defended by seven PDS shots on mm -hmm. a five, uh, and then a few with like four PDS shots. So it was just like, no. you And nobody had fleets big enough to combat that. So it was very quickly obvious that it's like, oh, to stop Extra would be impossible. However, that being said, they did have, and I forget the card it was, but they did have a path to stopping yes. uh, Magi at one point. And what, do you remember what card it was? They were mm. calling out an action card that they needed someone to play. And somebody was like, I can play it on my turn. And it was going to stop Magi from winning. I don't remember winning. that. Oh, okay. Remember. Maybe, maybe I can't, it I can't believe you don't remember this because this was I like my because this is like the only thing in. I really got to see. So mm -hmm. I sat down and basically they they all knew that Magi was the one that needed to be stopped right now. They had already stopped Isarl, and I had just seen L one take uh, Hakan's home system. Yeah. So it just felt like kind of everybody had had the game thrown off for them, except for Magi is sitting pretty with extra. Right. And they're trying to find a card. I wish I remembered what action card it was, but then. On Magi's turn, he plays focused research and researches instinct training. And when he oh, when he researched yes. instinct training is when they were like, "Well, that's game." Yeah, that, that was do, it. That was the I final nail in the, the coffin. Yeah, and because that was what was scary for us was the whole thing was like, "Oh, don't spend any trade goods though, because you sort of need everything you can get." He had a little bit extra, 
But if he lost any planets, he wouldn't have that to fall back on. Maybe it was Mag- Unstable Planet. It, it may have been. been it one. may have been Unstable Planet or something like that. But yeah, by Magi saying, you know what? I can sacrifice the four trade goods and ensure that they cannot take any planets from me or right. take any influence from me or whatever. So yeah, wh- whether it was Unstable Planet or something else that just exhausts planets or something that maybe an unexpected action to let someone get closer. I don't know. Oh, I think it was an unexpected action. I think it was action. unexpected action. Yeah. And, and it, he was able... Yeah, it was. It definitely was. Now, I'm remembering. I think it was Nalu's maybe. Whoever uh regardless yeah the they they were able to just completely stop the unexpected action from happening which secured his victory so good game to unalign magi yeah and i uh my you know magi magi right but uh <laughs> holds but true. one uh, the thing i was impressed by just a little bit that i caught was that uh and magi is really hard to read in a game yeah, yeah um he does a very like sometimes he makes it sound in his voice like he is scared that he might lose yeah so sometimes i, think I don't he know is. i think he I'm... i think he takes every moment very seriously right and is, and is afraid of every threat so uh so there was a point where it seemed like oh i think if i think i don't think he has an answer to this play if yeah. they use unexpected action i think it's done and then and he seemed scared it seemed like he was shook a little and then it gets to his turn oh i think i know what it was so he thought i know what it is so he probably saw that oh i can just research instinct training everything will be fine but if they saw that which they probably did or i don't know actually i guess they did not i did they knew he Um, didn't have it right so it was actually a pretty big moment when he, because he played focused research to learn yeah. instinct training. So that means that if somebody had had a sabotage and was paying yeah. attention, they would have sabotaged his focused research, and then he might have lost. Right. Um, I don't remember how sure it was, but I don't think it was. It very seemed sure. like I, a big. I, it it yeah. seemed like a pretty big deal, though. I think the unexpected action was a gambit, and I don't think it would have won the fight, anyways. Um, okay, but it, may, it was it was, it was certainly their only option. So for right. him to secure his victory, I think that's the thing is Unaligned Magi doesn't like to leave things up to chance. So yeah. if there is any chance that he might lose, he's in somewhat panic mode. Not to say he's a panicky player, but he, you're going to hear that in his voice. He's like, ah, no, I got to figure out how to, I have to turn this into a non-zero, like or I have to turn this non-zero percent chance into a zero percent chance that I'm going to lose. Yeah. Um, it's just funny because sometimes I almost feel like it's an, it's an act yeah. just because I've seen him now in that situation and then when it's his turn, he does this play, and I'm like, "Well, what were you scared of?" Yeah, what, but- <laughs> what were you so afraid of? Yeah. <laughs> um, let me. I, we got to burn through game yeah, three here. Let's talk um, about game three now. Game three, which I know to burn through. basically nothing about right. this one. I knew a little bit about game two. Uh, I basically know nothing about game three. So game three, if 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 we're going back to our thing where we're saying we want every single one of these games to have a subtitle. Uh, this oh. one is this one is bring the blue, which was the catchphrase <laughs> they all started saying during the draft. Uh, Kraken came out of the gate saying, guys, I I don't see any reason why we need to try to pull off this no blues and then let one blue faction in. Let's let's have a powerhouse game. There's no re- there's six factions. Like, why not let them all be good? And the, the rest, everyone else went, yeah, let's bring on the blue. Let's bring the blue. And everybody nominated uh, blue factions. The only so one, cool. The so only cool. one that got banned was Sar, which I think is totally fair. Sar could really easily run amok on, on this map. So if you're going to ban any blue faction, it probably should be that one. Um, but let's talk through who, who got in. We had Vaunt as the Necrovirus in Dreadful Influence, Janor as the Jolnar in Arby's, just worth noting, second time Janor in this tournament got Jolnar, 
oh, wow, he won his first game as Jolnar right, right. and got them again. And Jolnar has only been in like four games and he's half of them or what? I don't know the exact number. And his name is Jaynor. And he's he's the Jaynor. Uh, so uh, then we had John as Soul in Arthur's Dent. Uh, Space Wizard as the Barony of Letnev in Classic Pepperoni. That was pretty scary, uh, seeing Barony in Classic Pep. Uh, we saw Kraken as the Emirates of Hakan in Revenge of the Gashly. And we saw Mlazuski in uh, Nal- as Nalu in Bento Box. Um, so this game um, started right out of the gate with Hakan doing a research agreement for Trade Convoy Swap. That was his first action, was, hey, Jolnar, I want research agreement, and I will give you Trade Convoys, and so you can deal with everybody at the table, which I think is a bold and not great move for Hakan, right? Yeah. To just, because Jolnar has a lot of bargaining power, and the last thing you need is for Jolnar to have bargaining power with every single player over uh, I, I I don't I, think I, it's I feel, horrible. Uh, okay, now let's, let, let's talk through this one a little bit, because yeah. I, I, I do kind of, I want to throw out some stuff on either end. Uh, I do, th- I, I will say this. I, I don't think it's a bad play overall. I think it's a bad play, maybe round one or a questionable play. I'm not going right. to say anything is for sure bad. Well, I will. Sure. No, some things are bad plays like diplomacy <laughs> round one. What are you saying, <laughs> Hunter? Uh, no, but I think round one, it's very questionable. However, like, I mean, most of the time by like round three, like if yeah. you want to be, everybody's got to, neighbors, like, you, right? Everybody's neighbors with everybody. So like, that card is really only sensitive at the beginning. Yeah. Um. And round one, That's Jolnar most lethal. Uh, although I will say this, actually, this is the part that makes it kind of questionable because I'm seeing here that Jolnar picked trade round yep. one. Yeah. So doesn't that just make it? But well, but Hakan is already the one that you're going to want to deal with anyways. So right. maybe maybe it is moot. I, I don't think know. there's I think there's an argument for and against every time. I'll say this much with trade convoys. Jolnar got a lot done. And so I think it hurt Hakan more round one than it helped them. Yeah, um, that sounds... If that's true, then that's it. Then that's... Yeah. Then that's it. So um, Jolnar wanted to wash trade goods for people. He, he basically did the thing where everybody made lots of money. He refreshed almost everybody. I think everybody got refreshed except for Barony. Uh, oh, and, wow. and he was doing trade good washes, right? So I feel when you like t- we've seen less washes in the semis. Is that true? Am I making that up? I feel like that I don't kind know. Of- I mean, I saw a lot of it, and they were doing it all over the place in this game. So my my perspective yeah. is skewed because the most recent game I've seen was all about trade good washes. I feel like the prelims was like just wild yeah. with everyone washing each other. Yeah, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like I maybe I'm wrong. But. I will say this much: it was a wash for one in his favor every time, right? It wasn't it wasn't mm-hmm. just like oh yeah, everybody can have free money. It was like, I'm going to get one well, yeah, that's out a, of it. Yeah, you got to do it that way. But he, so he ended round one with 10 trade goods. Ugh. Pretty strong round for Jolnar. Not only did he get 10 trade goods, uh, he got military support from the Federation of Seoul twice. <laughs> Two times. So he got four extra infantry round one. Seoul was just handing it out like just nothing at the end of the round because he had no strategy tokens and he was getting paid for it a couple times. The first time he got... Uh, Jolnar's research agreement for him after uh, Hakan had used it. So he traded uh, military support for research agreement. I'd say that's a fair deal. Uh, yeah, the second smart. time, he did it for one trade good. One oh, trade okay. good for military support. So it, it, it kind of evened it out at that point. But regardless, uh, it was funny to see uh, uh, Kraken as Hakan, who was like, I gave Jolnar trade convoys, 
And now they're like wheeling and dealing like crazy. I mean, they're just getting so much. And the fact that he kept seeing Sol give out military support. At one point, you can hear in his voice him going, kind of going, hey, uh, Sol, you want to spread the, the love there? Like, let's come on. Let's uh, what do you want? I'll give you something for military support. So uh, Hakan also managed to grab it one time. So Sol, right, in just right, round one, right. Sol got military support out there three times, uh, traded out six infantry, basically. All right, Kraken. Uh, I got, I'm going to take it back. Uh, that is bad. That <laughs> should not have given trade convoys to Jnor. That Round I, one. I, I, I agree yeah. with your point of later in the game, it's not a big deal. It's Who not cares? a big deal, but no, nah, that sounds like Jnor got a lot. That's yeah. crazy. That's yeah. really a, lo- a crazy amount of stuff, especially military support for Jolnar. I mean, the linchpin of them not winning is infantry. Yeah. So you're letting them. You gave get, them a huge. Yeah. yeah. Four extra infantry round one is like, oh, they're protected round two. No one can and, jump on them. And I'm going to go and do something nice. That I mean, it's just for me, but also like anybody listening that maybe doesn't, you know, doesn't have everything in their head all the time. I forget. Does military support. Is military support one of those ones where if Seoul doesn't have yep. a counter you can still use it yep. it is it's like very that. yeah it's very unique in that case which is so why that's that's Sol why he was, was happy to around. do it yeah. yeah um so round two uh right off the bat hakan and nalu to their left uh swapped ceasefires and uh kraken had this fun little thing in front of his player area he set out uh five counters five little little uh calculators and he set them all to 10 and he said this is everyone's relationship tracker with me uh, you gain points for doing deals with me. Uh, you gain more points if those deals are in my favor. If you attack me, you lose points. Uh, and if the game comes down to a king-making situation for me, I oh will be public God. about it. I will give it to the player with the highest amount of points. I will, and I will do things in favor with the people who get who have the most points. This is this is the, your favor with me is what I am tracking right now. Wow! Uh, so very publicly as a con too, deal making. You know, kind of you got to play the meta. This was a strong, I thought, a very strong play from Kraken to say I'm keeping track of everything all of you do, and I'm keeping track of it publicly. Um, and so it very quickly became this interesting situation. People were, this this game was really the only game of the semis that had like a lot of secret conversations. These players were really dealy, especially in these early rounds. Um, Soul and Barony, Classic Pepperoni and Arthur's Dent, very quickly started to plot this alliance because Jolnar and Hakan had an amazing round one and they were very wise to say, we have to stop them. We got to slow these two down. That was ridiculous how much they got. We got to pump the brakes here a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so they uh, they started to make a plan to to do something about it. And the first motion in that plan was the Barony Aletnev took Abyss Freya from Hakan. No negotiation. Just jumped on it. Just I, I invade and Hakan was, hey, whoa, we could have we could have negotiated. We could have talked about this. I'm Hakan. Let's go, buddy. Let's let's figure this out. And he said no. And so so Kraken went over to his little counter and took Barony down about three points. Um, and he said this, I'm going to hurt you for this. I'm going to hurt you very badly for this. Wow, um, I, re- I because, relate to Kraken so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's what's great about it too, though, is, uh, I mean, what sucks about it for Kraken and why he was reacting so strongly is he had a pretty decent-sized fleet above Abyss Freya, and Barony brought everything to, to crush this. Uh, and, and so in Barony's eyes, this is sort of like, I'm going to like really hurt Hakan, mm-hmm. but he left himself pretty open. And immediately what happened was Jolnar took Hakan to a secret conversation and said, I am in range of Barony of Letnev's home system right now. Would you like to eliminate Barony from the game? Wow. And Hakan said, absolutely. Yes, I would. 
Uh, and so Jolnar's next action was to take uh, Baron Yeletnev's home system. Uh, Hakan had the chance to retaliate against the, the attack that happened to him. He had like a, a small middling fleet and, you know, Baronies took a few hits. So he, he had a chance to return fire. Uh, he played it in the silence of space that he had drawn round one uh, and it got sabotaged. And then he played a flank speed that he drew round one. So he had two options to get his fleet to this new Barony fleet and he wiped it out. Um, so at the end of round two, Barony had, I think, one ship and one ground force, maybe two ground forces. I might be misremembering a little bit. He had very, very little, and he did not have his home system. Wow. Um, and it was it became pretty public. Uh, Barony and the Federation of Souls swapped support for the thrones, uh, basically to say, hey, Soul, do you want to have a skin in the game on this? Do you want to protect? Please save me. Please help. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll give you a point if you keep that point alive by keeping me in the board game. Um, so Sol now wanted to try to kind of keep Barony alive, but it was very quickly pointed out to Sol of like, hey man, you got that point for nothing. It's really early in the game. Uh, Hakan was the one coming to him. So sure, Jolnar is in Barony's home system, but Hakan was saying, Sol, you and I can still share this slice if you want to. So if you want to abandon that point, you could just have a slice and a half if you share this with Barony. And, uh, I'll skip ahead a little bit. If you share it with who? If you, if Who is you he share, gonna share it with? Hakan, Hakan and Sol would be sharing Barony's slice I with Jolnor hanging out in Barony's home system. Wow. Um uh and and Barony limped along for a little while, but it finally came down to where it that there was it was just over, and they did finally officially eliminate him per all like wow. no weird backing out. Uh he even tried to offer up a deal of like, hey guys, listen, I I'm not going to be able to do anything here. Do you guys want to just like automate my game? And when he was bringing that up, he was saying like, you know, I'll just build two ground for, I'll build ground forces on the one planet I have left and then pass every round. Uh, and they said, actually we can do away with you. We can just finish it. There's only, it takes two actions to completely wipe you off the table. Uh, and so they went with that. The problem was with all of this, it was amazing to see a player get eliminated, but the problem was to officially do it to finally just, you know, be done with it. They both had to do actions that didn't necessarily do anything for them. It was just to wipe Barony off the map. Mm-hmm. And all the while, and multiple players pointed this out, all the while, Nalu and Necro are sitting on the other side of the map, not engaging. And what always happens in these tournament games, the two players right. that right. don't deal on all of this early game war come out ahead and that is exactly what started to happen nalu kept getting these little interesting positional strikes into hakan where like hakan left a thing out or he didn't attack and hakan decided not to use a ceasefire so nalu is slowly making ground on hakan and necro (laughs) necro it's time to start talking about necro uh vaunt was vaunt plays i think maybe my favorite kind of meta which is to say He's just 100% honest about every single thing completely. Even when he's like, I'm about to screw you over and I'm going to detail. Like, he just talks through every thought. He tells you everything he's thinking and everything mm-hmm, he's doing mm-hmm. and why he's doing it. And he almost never a lot. Like, he's, I never have seen him hold back a little bit of the truth. It's always like, oh, yeah, no, that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what he's going to do. And multiple, what he kept doing is... Uh, wanting to pick off little pieces of tech from Jolnar. Hey, let me mm-hmm. just just leave me one cruiser and I'll attack it. But all the while, while he's doing that, he's slowly creeping into Jolnar's slice while Jolnar is off busy gallivanting through the beta wormhole on the other side of the map, taking out Barony. So Necro has gained almost all of Hakan's slice by the end of Barony's life. Um, 
So going into round uh, five, after they mercy kill Barony, everyone kind of looks around and goes, uh, guys, Necro has like eight planets outside of his home system and like two of them are inside of Hakan's slice and he's just completely surrounding Hakan and he's got like five dreadnoughts on the board. What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> and everybody had to stop like all their weird little shenanigans on that side of the map and like start worrying about Necro, which is exactly what Vaunt did in his first game, which is slowly build up. And he got to a point in his prelim game where he had a secure shot to the victory. And the only thing that slowed him down in his prelim game is a like horribly disastrous agenda that took out almost his entire fleets, like every ship he had. Uh, but he did not have such bad luck this game. And he ended up um, uh, sitting in a really strong position round five, um, but not a clear chance to victory or anything. Just like, a, well, I don't know what they're going to do about Necro. He's probably going to win in round six. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jolnar built their flagship in their home system. Jolnar did, I don't think Jolnar had Unveil Flagship. They just were like looking for, because Necro were barreling down them and they, and Jolnar had a lot of money. I think they were just looking for ways, you know, the Jolnar home system is terrible. Oh no. You have, you have four uh, production capacity. So they were just trying to get the most bang for their buck and they built their flagship while Necro had destroyed their greatest ship. No. Um, so, uh, and, and I think their, their, their public objective they needed to score was something very easy. It was tech. It was Necro with a lot of tech, and it was um, three unit upgrades, which they yeah. had easy. They had that round three. So how wild was Necro's tech game in this? Because we have a Necro and a Jolnar, and it sounds if, like if, there was a lot of fighting between. If you'll two. ask the if you'll ask the players, it was absolutely insane how much and how quickly how much uh, tech Necro had. Necro yeah. had three unit upgrades, probably round three, and he was one tech away from two and four colors. He had every wow. single tech objective on lockdown. Uh, he was not far away from four and one color, uh, and he was one away from one faction tech, copying other people's faction techs, right? So his tech game was completely insane. Um, it sounds like he was like one away from basically every From basically point. anything. Um, yeah. what, what was really interesting actually was um, peeking ahead the second stage two agenda or objective was two and four colors, but the only factions at the table that were probably ever going to uh, research red tech were Barony, who is dead, and then <laughs> Jolnar. And so Jolnar would have to just see that if they get their fourth, their their second red tech is what it would be. If they if Jolnar decides to get plasma scoring, they give Necro the chance to get plasma scoring. So it was going to turn into a situation where it's like, do or don't you? What do you? What's what's the play? Right. But it never even came down to that because. Uh, three unit upgrades was the first one up and they were just swimming in tech and everyone saw they had too much tech. So it all came down to what was their secret. And jo Necro had unexpected action and warfare and had parked a big fleet near Jolnar's home system. So all he had to do was lift that and go attack the flagship. Um, but it was a scary fight. It was not, it was, I think it was, we did the math a couple times because it kind of kept changing. And with what he had nearby, it was like a 40% chance to win. Now he could have warfared and unexpected action some cruisers and like added to fleet supply so he could have improved his improved his odds but it was still a risky gambit yeah yeah um but regardless imperial got popped and he drew a new secret just to see what he could get and he drew have ships in six systems and when he drew it he already had ships in six systems and he had five command counters and he had warfare he had the ability to be in 13 different systems by the Whoa. end of the round so there was 
basically almost no chance anyone's going to stop him. They even saw it. They realized, oh, he probably has, he needs ships in six systems. Um, but he kind of stalled them out. He did a couple stall actions of moving ships around. That's when they noticed it. They tried to take out one, but but by the time they realized it, it was too late and he had ships everywhere and there was just nothing you could do. So a second game where Vaunt played in a game where people were doing kind of crazy stuff. I wouldn't say his prelim game was crazy, but nobody paid attention to him just like absolutely playing perfectly basically. And then when it is revealed that he's playing perfectly, it's too late. That's what's happened twice for Vaunt. So I think Vaunt is really someone to look out for in the finals. The thing I'll say about Vaunt is compared to Schroeder and Unaligned Magi, his meta is an open book. So he does mm-hmm. he's not doing any meta plays. And I'm afraid of what Schroeder might be able to do to him. And this is where <laughs> I now now that we're done with like three players are definitely in and we can start breaking down what's gonna maybe happen in the finals. I can't wait to start opening up those discussions of like, let's not talk about how good a faction is gonna do on the finals map. Let's talk about how Unaligned Magi, Schroeder, and uh, Vaunt are going to play against each other. I think that's an episode for a different day, but right, but right. I can't wait for those types of discussions because I think that's where the game is really going to turn into something else in the finals. I, I'm uh, honestly, I'm kind of interested in rewatching all of their prelims games, right? To and see where they like, got because because I know that these. I mean, it's going to be a while before we get to the finals too. Yeah, I, yeah. Like we, like we've all got a while to think yeah. about these three. The knockouts, yes. not so much. There'll be at least one knockout player. But we're like, oh, it's you. All right, yeah. well, we got to do this now. Um, right. But yeah, I, th- I I like what you're saying about Vaunt. Uh, and I think in some ways, maybe that's going to make me root for Vaunt a little bit yeah. more in my heart, he's though. He's just so just honest. Knowing he's such that an he's, honest boy. He's so, right. he's so nice and just like, yeah, every action he takes is like, yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. He will, he will kind of be the, he'll be flying the flag of like straightforward, honest meta. Right. And that means if he wins... Then all these liar pants boys out there. <laughs> what are you? What are you what's, standing what's on? What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. Well, uh, we are we are running out of time here in this recording session, Hunter, and we need yeah. to do some errata about our knockout yeah. maps. So let's. Yeah. I think we should jump over there. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. All right. So welcome to errata, baby. Uh, our first errata is from Shark, also uh, not atheism. These are two people that brought up essentially the same point. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll use Shark's phrasing. Right. So so Shark asks, has anyone mentioned how the banning and nomination or nominating process will be different to fit five players? There's going to be five players in the knockout round, which yep. means that the current nominating banning phase that doesn't we have before, it, it does not make sense. Yeah. So uh, Matt, what's the, what's, the, what's the deal? What's yeah. the new one? We worked on this for kind of a while. It's super convoluted and stupid, but so is the, it's, so it's is not, the original. It's not that I, w- bad. It's not that... Well, I mean, I think it is pretty bad as far as convoluted. <laughs> it, it is more convoluted <laughs> yeah. it, that you'll be like, what? Um, yeah. But just know that we... This is... I don't know. It's the nicest way we could do it's it. It's the nicest way to do it. But more importantly, it's on theme with the way we've already been doing it. I could have done some other like totally different method, but it wouldn't have felt right for this tournament to abandon the types of drafting we see right so we had to do this ban then nominate then pick thing that was that was kind of the crucial thing is like we're not getting rid of that part of this uh banning phase so i'm just going to outline it for you really quick here here it is and you're going to have to probably read it to to visualize it better but all the players will roll just like before the lowest rollers will get essentially player 
D and E, right? We player A, B, and C, it doesn't matter. They're gonna they're gonna effectively have the same relationship with the the method. But players D and E, the two lowest roles, um, in effect, are treated differently. Everyone then uh, draws factions. A, B, and C each get four factions in their starting hand. Player D gets three factions in their starting hand. Player E draws two factions in their starting hand. That's a total of 17. I didn't like any situation where we dealt out a different amount and then like two got left out. The point of this drafting method is that everyone has full control over every faction. Mm -hmm. The only randomness is what you actually get dealt. But there's nothing that's just like, that was randomly definitely forced to be left in because right, it didn't right. get dealt out. That, that we were not comfortable with doing. So after that, uh, all players ban one faction from their hand. So one out of four, one out of three, or one out of two. Uh, then everyone reveals the 12 remaining non-banned factions. After that, player D, after getting to see the remaining 12 factions, gets to ban one more publicly amongst the 12. So they get like a super ban for being player D. Again, this is the player who had three in their hand. Um, so I, I don't think that's a super powerful ability. I don't think it's crazy. It's just like I'm banning one out of a list of 12. That's a, that's right. a big list. So that brings us back to our standard 11. Then... Players roll for nominating order, so you get a new turn order just like before, and then in nomination order, every player nominates one faction except for player E, who only had two, does the same thing as player F in the six-player version, which is they'll get to nominate two factions on their turn, which will then leave you with six nominated factions with only five players. Uh, you remove the non-nominated factions. Everyone rolls again for drafting order. You do the snake draft just like you do for the regular thing. You either pick position or faction first. Uh, you go down through the order. And then when the last person goes, they go first going reverse order. Uh, so then one faction gets left out. Everyone has a pie slice. Everyone has a faction. Everyone rolls again. Determine speaker order. Carry on with the game. That is the five-player variant of our drafting method. Mm-hmm. Very uh, cool. Very I'm excited cool. to see how it plays out. I don't think it's going to play out that differently. Again, really, this drafting thing is all pretty convoluted and lent, just lends itself to, do you want to get big factions out or not? Or do you want to kill off some bad factions before it's a, an issue? Right, um, right. So uh, that's, the, the next yeah. errata is from T.G. Welch, who uh, I, I want to go on the record as saying is a complete genius because he beat me in a game. Um <laughs> The mathematics, this is about the mathematics of smurfing, that really fun concept we talked about last week. Um, the mathematics of smurfing is a very real concept in specific cases. I can relate to this when I play games with the usual suspects in this galaxy that all know each other and their capabilities. In games with total strangers, I think this concept is pretty much lost. A bunch of strangers not knowing what anyone is capable of skill-wise prevents them from even knowing who to shoot based on the spur the smurf analogy yeah like for example like in a game where maybe all the players know me but i don't really know how they all play yeah. they all know to stop me from winning and give it to tg welch which is probably what happened <laughs> um yeah i i thought this is an interesting point and, and i didn't i'll be honest i didn't read all of that mathematics of smurfing post it was a very very long post oh i didn't realize that knowing the strength of other players factors into it. And I actually kind of think that maybe it doesn't, but but T.G. Welch's point still stands where if you do know who is probably the stronger players at the table, smurfing is a huge factor. And I would just basically agree that it is much less the case when nobody knows who they're playing against. You don't know who the best player is, so you don't know, like, you, you don't have that to factor into the equation. Yeah, I mean, in the in the mathematics of smurfing analogy, I think you 
you do get to choose your target. So right. picking it, it's it's target. it's that you the your your percentage uh is weird. Like there's no guarantee that you're gonna actually shoot anybody and the brown hat is the worst one with the yeah. lowest percentage. Uh but yeah, I think I think TG Welch though in Twilight Imperium understanding the player's abilities is it's very a, important in order yeah. for this smurfing thing to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, our next one is from Pink, who says, this map sucks, dude. Why is Dave's Dutch oven not red? Why is it green? That bugs me. Uh, fair point. Uh, the pie slices are weird, and Tabletop Simulator is a, is not a great program. And uh, I we are too lazy to rotate the map. I'll say this much. Visually... The, the warp zone has to be at the top, right? You can't put the warp zone, like, at the 11 o'clock position or at the yeah. 2 o'clock position. No. It's just gross no. looking. So it has to be that way. And the only other method is to actually go into the TTS and change the seating position of every single color. And that takes a lot of time. And that's stupid. Uh, but the reason I threw this in here is it may not be stupid because uh, some players have been developing a tool that very quickly allows you to change colors in Tabletop Simulator. And if that gets finished and implemented into the final... Uh, into the actual main mod that everybody uses from Raptor, uh, Hunter, we might actually be able to coordinate colors with mm. factions. Yummy. And I, I pray that it is done by the finals. I'm sure it will be. It's like a month away. So if we get that, that for so the finals, cool. it'll that be so, really great for that. So Even cool. if it's done by the knockouts, that would be great. Uh, right. ne next errata is from Phytophthorin. Phytophthorin. I think I nailed it. I personally am looking forward to later maps that maybe do not have the symmetry of these tournament maps. I enjoy your breakdown of maps, and it has given me a new eye to evaluate how to play on any map going forward. Yeah, we would love to do more episodes in the future after the tournament arc is finished yeah. about just just throwing a map out there. Like maybe right. in Mac We Trust has right. some new weird map uh, and he comes on again to talk about it right. and we break break a new map down. I think giving the slices nicknames is, the is part. <laughs> really fun. <laughs> and I think that I would like that tradition to kind of just like carry, carry on. Out. Yeah. Yeah, like I just I think if you make a custom nap just just give them nicknames. Right. Give them nicknames. Yeah. Why and not? I, I'm also excited to, as they point out, uh, I'm excited to stop making symmetrical maps. Every map yes. on this tournament has had a very strict symmetrical rule, and that was by design for this tournament. That's not necessarily always going to be the true, and I want to see what else we can do. Like, I feel like I've now seen everything I can do with symmetry with these map tiles. Until we get more map tiles, there's nothing else that can really be done besides just, like, making slight minor shuffles. But in mm. terms of like the types of maps you can have that are still symmetrical, this tournament I feel like has explored the options for what I want to see in maps personally. Yeah. Um. So I'm excited to try doing more maps that are just like, all right, let's throw it out. Let's completely come up with new ideas that do not have to require any sort of tournament uh, symmetry. I want I want to make some grudge map maps. I can't wait to do a map for the f the six players in the finals game after the finals has been determined. I want to do another game like six months later where we bring them all back and make them play on some stupid crazy map that forces them to not play logically. I think that sounds really fun and we'll mm -hmm. break that map down for sure. All right, that's all the errata. Rundown uh, time. Rundown time. You can uh, rate us. Please rate us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and any other app for that matter. But iTunes is really important. I've been trying to get on this bandwagon a lot more recently. Uh, the ratings are a really, really important thing. And we always say this, but I feel like I want to drive the point home this week of um, we're, we're starting to see some like real 
benefits from us having a high rating. We're getting more uh, visibility and it allows us to do more. Uh, this tournament in part being a, a big part of that. If you guys want to have bigger tournaments in the future, Twilight Imperium needs to be a bigger game. And for us, for me, sharing our podcast helps with that. Obviously, you should just share Twilight Imperium with more people. But if you share our podcast, it's more people listening to us and more people that want to engage in future tournaments. So uh, I, I just, I, I really want to encourage you to get onto iTunes. Even if you don't listen to our podcast on iTunes, go hop on iTunes, subscribe to it, and give us a rating um, because it, it really helps a lot in the podcast world. Uh, also, this is a weird one, unique little uh, instance in time we're in. Board Game Geek, that website we always tend to kind of trash. Uh, we, we we really we, no, we love it. We love Matt, it. We shut love up. Board no, Game it's Geek. a great website. Board Game we're, Geek is very big, important to we us. We love it. We love uh, it. And uh, they are doing their Golden Geek Awards uh, currently. The nominations are open. They're only open for a couple more days. You have until March fourteenth to go on there uh, and find uh, the the nomination page where you can nominate best podcast we would really love it if you nominated us for best best podcast how cool if you, would it if be if you think we're the best if you think like we're the you. best i'll say this much you can nominate up to 10 things the nomination precedes the actual voting on the final like top 10 you can nominate yeah. 10 factions so are we in your top 10 favorite podcasts are we in your top 10 favorite board gaming podcasts if so please go to boardgamegeek.com slash geek awards slash board game then you have to click on the podcast tab and then scroll through the list down to Space Cats Peace Turtles, add us to it, and hit submit. Uh, and 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 help us show that Twilight Imperium is the best game ever because it has the best board game podcast for 2018 or 2019. I think this is the 2018 awards. So the best podcast of 2018. If that was the Twilight Imperium podcast, how cool would that be? Uh, I, I, that's what we want. And we now care about Board Game Geek again. It's super a, important to for us. For a second. I, I want to I just a real quick note, though. Uh, for those of you that don't use Board Game Geek but are really sweet and like our show, and then you go to this website, yeah. you will find out that you need some geek gold, which is like a currency that Board Game Geek uses. You can buy it with money. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say for the record, don't give Board Game Geek no. money to vote on us for this thing. Right. Like, like There's just, other reasons to give Board Game... We're not saying don't give Board Game Geek money. Right. But don't make this but, the only reason you give Board Game Geek money. That's yeah. Not, that's not what we're trying to say. Yeah, don't... Like, if if, if that's the thing... Because it's like... I mean, they're going to charge you like 15 bucks. Just And if, the, if you're literally just popping in because you're like, oh, I want to... Yeah. I want to vote on space cats peace turtles and and that's it right i don't know i i i feel i feel like i would be remiss to just like sure. blaze over that uh, yeah Th that being said there are other ways to get geek gold when you submit uh different like files and and like variants for games you can receive geek gold for that players can just gift you geek gold uh so and there's lots of people who have like umpteen million geek gold because they get it because they post all the time so you know there's there are ways to get geek gold quickly um not to say you should just go around begging for geek gold. That's certainly not what we want. But um, but don't don't think that you you're you either pay fifteen dollars or you don't do anything at all. Yeah, that is the point. Uh, yeah, and 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 just real quick because I felt like an errata brewing in my head. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean to say that you sh like if you like board game geek, 
then give them well, money. give them money, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like that. I'm not trying to say under no circumstance should right. you ever give board game geek money. I would just feel bad if I didn't mention that it will cost money if you right. don't have access to yeah. geek gold. You, and I would you, feel guilty. You have to either give 20 geek gold or you have to like in your profile buy an avatar or buy geek badges um with geek gold and so it kind of all equates out the same thing essentially you need 20 geek gold to do it so that's enough about board game geek and how weird and convoluted of a website yeah. i mean i love it we love it it's the best it's it's uh, the it's best really it's our best. favorite website uh, it's you, literally my home page <laughs> you can also follow us on twitter at space cats pod uh we do game updates and announcements there um you can find us on facebook space cats peace turtles uh you can ask uh, questions there if you have rules questions or questions about the show feel free to hit us up on there uh, we post every week on the reddit subreddit uh r slash twilight imperium uh, you can find our posts there as well as lots of other posts i think the subreddit keeps getting more and more popular which is great to see there's posts all the time uh and and all of them get great discussions so go be a part of that conversation um you can become a patron with us on patreon.com slash wait what did you say wait what did you say i called it patreon because that's how it's pronounced yeah but you said patron you can what become a patron. A, what's a patron? Oh, you mean a Patreoner? Is that your point? A Patreon? I just don't know what you're saying. I, I, just, <laughs> I get confused. Uh, if you contribute to our show, you get special perks. You can help us vote on upcoming episodes. You can produce an episode yourself. You can help impact our live streams. Uh, or you can play games with us. Uh, we, we try to play a game, a few games every quarter with all of our Goodian Brotherhood members. There's all sorts of things you can do in our Patreon. Uh, you can also Ooh. join our Discord and uh, get more Patreon benefits there. There's lots of different um, chat threads in there, and some of them are reserved for different tiers of patrons. Also, speaking of which, I just remembered this. Uh, oh, wait. I just realized how weird what I'm about to say is. Well, hey, Yin for life. Um, so we're about to be able to <laughs> schedule all the knockout round games. Yeah. Once we have those on the books... I want to do your uh, Space Kitty thing. Yeah, yeah. I just took time on Public the show just out. to talk go. to just you one person. You know, he is on the Discord and you could have messaged mess- him. But now that's staying in the show. <laughs> <laughs> I just, well, we're talking about it and I just really, yeah. you know what? I'm honestly putting it in there can so we, that can we now do another I'm reminded. One? While yeah. we're at it, uh, hey, yeah. Imsen, Hunter does still owe you cheesy bread and I'm going to make well, sure he gives stop, it to you stop, during the knockout stop. round. It was supposed to be a surprise. Oh, it was okay. supposed to be that he's playing the knockout round and then knock, knock, knock. And then he's like, wait, guys. I got to walk away from the table and then there's cheesy bread. I'll just have to figure out a different way to surprise him. Maybe it won't be cheesy bread. Maybe I'll send him a rock. (laughs) Who are you, Hunter? Hunter Donaldson, who are you? Mm -hmm. Uh, My name is Hunter and I'm a comedian based out of Portland, Oregon. You can see me doing shows all over. Uh, I'm not going to push that many, right? I kind of, I've been sparingly about it. I I got tired of listing all my stuff out, but (laughs) The easiest thing to catch me at is uh, Earthquake Hurricane, which I do every Thursday. In fact, uh, frequent uh, listener Laura came out uh, last show, and uh, it was a pretty wild one that uh, that they got to see. It was pretty crazy, um, uh, which is not always crazy. Sometimes it's bad, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's boring, um, and sometimes it's very funny. You just defined comedy, like stand-up right. comedy as a whole, mm-hmm. is what you just described. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's called Earthquake Hurricane. It's every Thursday at 8 p.m. at Ford Food and Drink. I host it with several other uh, comedians that are all super funny and very talented. Um, tonight, you're listening to this, and tonight, if you're listening to this the night, the day it releases, Tuesday... Yeah. I don't even remember I'm, what day. I, I might release it Monday night, Tuesday morning for some people, regardless. Tu- so, Tuesday, so uh, March, March, 12th. March 12th, um, I will be at the Doug Fur Lounge 
uh, which is a pretty cool venue in Portland. I don't always get to do cool venues. Um, so I will seem very cool if you come to that one. Uh, and I say cool because the, sh- the show is called the Cool Kids Comedy Show, uh, which I actually don't uh, really care for the title that much. But um, it's a very special show. Uh, uh, one of my oldest friends in comedy, uh, Andy Main, very talented comedian, one of the first people in Portland to kind of uh, be uh, nice to me in comedy when, you- when I moved here, um, is uh, leaving our fair city and heading uh, for Denver. Um, so you should come out and see a great show with a lot of really good comedians, including me. Um, and then also uh, one quick, this is a very weird one. If you came out of this one, I, it would be a very strange time uh, because uh, this show kind of attracts a very broy crowd. Um, and I guest host this one, but this one's on March 16th um, and it's a show called Over It. Uh, and is at a place called Upper Lip, which is a uh, kind of second room to Bailey's Tap Room. Uh, above Bailey's Tap Room in uh, Portland. Um, that would be a really strange one to come see, uh, but I wanted to throw that one out there because I could use your support at that one because that is a hard... <laughs> he needs hard, the nerd crowd to That show is up. a hard show for me to do. It's like me <laughs> hosting for a, a bunch of drunk, uh, bro-y people, and uh, no offense to you if you are drunk or bro-y right now. Uh I, I have nothing against your kind or your culture. Uh, we're just not the best bedfellows. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I want to thank our space kitties today. I want to thank Yin for Life, who has apparently an episode being worked on right now. We got to get that done. Uh, Patience is a virtue. Naderade and Jim Bob. All of those need episodes. We got, we got, as soon as this tournament is done, we're going to be like in space kitty producing mode. Yes. Um, and I also want to say we're not going to do a play of the week this week. We're running out of time, but please send us plays of the week if you want them to be read on future episodes at spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. End of show. Oh, okay. I don't know. We can, <laughs> we can, still, we can still have outro stuff. I'm just saying no, no, that was, that was, it. That was really, the last thing on the list. Really... That was oh okay. I thought you were saying like authoritatively. No, end no. of show. And I was like, that's not fair. Like I, I like. I will have... say this much: I do need it to be the end of the show because I have to figure out what's going on with this mouse in my house. Oh yeah, so there's a mouse in the house. Uh, that was fun. Okay, <laughs> well yeah, you're right. We should go. I mean, I just th- I kind of wanted to have a little. You want a vamp? I mean, not anymore. Now I kind of <laughs> lost. I don't, I don't really want to now, but when when you didn't want to, I kind of wanted to, and but now, I wasn't now that mean. You, I I, you know, actually, you know what? Now that now that I'm looking at it, and I actually really gotta go. <laughs> I, I I gotta go right now. I'm sorry, dude. I gotta go. Uh, but yeah, I would stay and do a little more, but I really gotta go right now. So sorry. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Oh, can you hear my cat? My cat's meowing. Yeah, in the, it's I, time I'm to go. Gonna, it's, it's I'm gonna have to feed time. the cat. So yeah. I'm. Yeah, sorry. I gotta go. See you later, dude. Uh, maybe next time we'll kind of have some time after the show, but not not this week. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. Hang on, hang on. Something is happening. My cat is losing her mind, and I'm trying to figure out why. Okay, I'll just, I'm, I'm going I'm to stay in this moment. Yeah, sorry. Holy fuck. Did did Pat poo? Nope. Mouse. There's a mouse. Pat, you got it. You did such a good job. You are so fucking amazing. No, get it, get it. Get it, Pat. Yes. Good job. Now murder it. How do you do that? How do you murder the mouse? No, get it. Quit setting it down, you fucking dink. <laughs> <laughs>
has got to go in the show. <laughs> I don't know what to do. All right, so just anyone, I don't know if this is making it in or whatever, but there's a mouse in Matt's room, and he's now trying to get his cat, Pat, uh, to kill it. He's trying to coerce Pat into murdering the cat, the, the mouse, the cat. <laughs> I'm waiting to hear like a, like the mouse dying. Oh, God, what was that? What, what, how do I like, how should I trap it? I don't know what to do. It's cornered. Uh, is, and Pat is not finishing it off? No, she's not like, yeah, she's not going in for the kill. Well, you're going to, th- I mean, I think you're going to have to do it then, bud. Here's what you do. You ball up your fist, punch it in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it got out. No. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Whoa, hey, we don't curse on our podcast. Yeah. I trapped it. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> what do you mean you got it? Like you killed it? No. I sent you a picture on Facebook. Check your phone. Oh, wow. It's just, it's under, I just, I just plopped that on it. And I don't know what to do now. Uh, I guess it just lives there now. How many other mice are in my house? I don't know, That's dude. That's what I want to know. I mean, I don't, a mouse is not like a cockroach thing. It's not like if you see one, that means there's a whole colony no, living in your place Could it yeah Could it no well, no i don't think so i think you're good dude don't don't fret nothing you know wow uh i'm gonna leave that in there and figure it okay. out later yeah that's great that's great jesus christ that's crazy i hope you're able to salvage some of that as like an easter egg at the end 